Welcome to the One I'm Strong podcast. This season, we're dedicating to growing your e-commerce business. We're going to talk about tracking your products, marketing your products, making better decisions with our products so we can sell faster and grow more. Our first guest is Damiano, the founder and owner of Startup Slang. He's built over 2,000 Shopify stores, and he's going to really give some great advice on what not to do and what to do to scale your e-commerce business. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, Damiano. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So um, let's start out by just telling us about Startup Slang, how you got started and what, what drove you into getting into the e-commerce space. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so obviously, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Damiano. I am the founder and CEO of a, uh, an agency, an e-commerce development agency in Canada called Startup Slang. Um, Startup Slang is today a 50 people uh, company. Um, we have three offices in Toronto, Montreal, and Kingston, Ontario, in Canada as well. Um, we are a distributed team, um, and we have all sorts of talents on our team. So from designers to developers to e-commerce specialists, uh, we like to market ourselves as the plug and play e-commerce department. So we can help merchants with everything from A to Z, from design and development of their store to content production and marketing and everything that comes with scaling the actual store itself. Um, so yeah, like the last, you know, three and a half years, so we started in 2017. Um, so last three, three and a half to four years have been uh, pretty interesting. Um, you know, I started off this journey really as a freelancer on Fiverr. Um, so I started off by selling Shopify stores for just $30. It was kind of a side hustle. Um, and uh, I was working as, a, as an e-commerce um, manager for a, a brand in Toronto at the time. And um, yeah, very quickly, my freelancing career kind of took off and uh, more and more clients wanted to work with us. And eventually I left that job and ended up doing this full time. And uh, yeah, and then somehow we grew to 50 people, which is great. <laughs> hey, that's a great story, especially right now. But, you know, e-commerce is exploding because, you know, every because of COVID and so forth. So I thought it would be good to have you on the show to kind of talk about some of the things I, I see on these Facebook groups, which is like people are struggling getting their store started. They ads or they they spent like i saw this this post the other day i spent twenty thousand dollars on my store and i'm not getting any traffic so you know if, if you were to kind of give some people some advice like what what are some of the things that you see clients struggling with and and some recommendations maybe some tips you might give them to help them you know drive more sales or, or what are they doing that helps them that prevents sales from happening on their store Absolutely. I mean, um, over the last you know four years, we've worked with over two thousand merchants, so we've seen we've seen a lot uh, happen in, in these people's businesses. So you know, we've seen a lot of them succeed, but we've also seen a lot of them fail. Um, you know, and 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 usually, you know, like if if you were to build a business and that business becomes super successful, it's because you've aligned certain things to make sure that that happens. Like one of the things that I like to uh, compare it to is kind of like a like a restaurant, right? Like so, if you were to open a restaurant. There's a few things that you would think about before you do that, right? Like the location mm-hmm. of the restaurant, right. the, uh, the customer base, the type of food, the, the quality, the taste, the, the price, the atmosphere, the service. All these things come into play and they're, they're pretty important, right? Um, and I feel like with e-commerce, there has been this, I guess because of the dropshipping culture and the gurus mm-hmm. online, there, there has been this kind of uh, mentality of 
this is a quick way to make money. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think if you are going to build a business and if you're going to build an e-commerce business, it requires an insane amount of work um, and, and a lot of research before you get to the stage where you're actually selling. Um, and so one of the things that I usually like to talk about is just the three main pillars of uh, an e-commerce business. And, you know, those three main pillars are product, content, and conversion. Hmm. And within those pillars, you have certain things that are going to line up uh, to ensure that you're successful with a launch and then that you can also scale. Um, so for the product, for example, that pillar is super important. That's usually where you should start, right? Like if you're going to be selling a product, you need to figure out what value proposition in your product you're offering, what problem you're solving for your end customer. And you want to be able to offer something that's high quality and that can actually last a long time for your, for your, for your client to be able to, uh, to enjoy it and, and to be able to recommend it to other people, right? It's the same thing with a restaurant, right? If the quality of your food is good, other people are going to tell their friends about it and they'll come back, right? Um, and so that really comes into being able to tell a story around your product and then creating an experience with the fulfillment, with the inventory, with the customer service that is the best possible experience that you can give to your clients. And that's really like the first pillar, you know? That's very important because I'm on this uh, kick about the business behind the business is the business and how more companies need to really focus on that as part of their differentiation or unique selling strategy. And I see a lot of people online, like you said, they, they I'm a drop ship and I'm going to go live in, in uh, Tahiti and, and live this great life and make 200,000, but they don't, it's just like any other business it's work until it's not. Right. So um, you have to treat it like that. And I really think there needs to be a commitment to being a business owner because it's not for everybody. Right. So um, and um, so, yeah, I'm really glad you're focusing on that. So 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 when clients come to you, are they at the are have some of them gone down the path and realized they made a mistake or are they getting are you getting them on the front end to really avoid some of these challenges? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, usually we try to put our clients on the right path. And obviously, you, know, you can't blame people for coming to us being like, I want a high converting website for some random product that I find on AliExpress, because that's what they've seen online. And they've seen that that's what people do. However, you know, I'm not a massive proponent of dropshipping uh, from China. Uh, I think that it's a, it's a good business for people that want to learn e-commerce. However, I don't think it's a long-term strategy at all. You know, a lot of the stuff that I see within the dropshipping world is stores that don't really last a very long time because of issues with saturations and no barrier of entry to being able to sell the products and a lot of people copying each other. Um, and so that usually creates, I mean, like, you know, there's, there's this debate online of, you know, between people that uh, they, they argue on whether dropshipping is a good business model or not. But the way that I see it is, can you build a sustainable company out of it? You know, if you look at startups like we're a 50 people business today, right? So it, you know, we're able to sustain 50 people and their lifestyles through like salaries and through, you know, like, you know, work and all that. And I've personally never seen or very rarely seen a, a dropshipping business that is like that. Right. And, and by dropshipping business, I mean, dropshipping from China, 
right? Right. Yeah, the AliExpresses and uh, um, Over Overly and all these other little tools people use. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I think you know once you once you narrowed it down to a product in an industry that you want to be into, maybe dropshipping is a good way to start to test mm-hmm. the market to learn e-commerce. But over time, you want to build a real e-commerce uh, experience and a real e-commerce operation. And so having control over your supply and your inventory, I think, becomes fairly important. Um, and so bringing a lot of that inventory to your home country, uh, you know, driving down the price by doing that, um, that's usually how you can actually scale uh, a dropshipping business by not necessarily making it a dropshipping business. Hmm. And I say this fully that's knowing funny. That that's so funny. <laughs> at the end of the day, dropshipping is just a, um, it's just a fulfillment uh, mechanism, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you can have suppliers that are closer to you as well, where you can have actual relationships and you can have uh, a lot of, um, you know, like control over the actual pipeline because you can partner up with them in a lot of cases. Um, and so a lot of people forget that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting off the business, if you're in, in e-commerce, really think about the fulfillment system, the customer service, the experience, the product, the value that your product is bringing to people. That is like the main pillar. Everything else will come from that, right? So the second mm-hmm. pillar is content and then the third pillar is conversion. You can't mm-hmm. do any of that right unless you get the product right at the beginning. That's interesting because I, I was on, I'm on I'm in this uh, e-commerce uh, dropshipping Facebook group and I just love seeing the comments. One guy said I, ha- I paid somebody on Fiverr and he found me ten great products. And uh, and my question was how do you know they're great? You haven't sold them yet. <laughs> he never responded. So uh, I thought that was funny. But um, so so when you get to the let's let's kind of dive into the content piece. So how would you break that up in small nuggets for like takeaway points for people to when they think about content? Like, is it uh, influencer based? Are you talking about SEO product description? Uh, can you kind of dive into that a little bit for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. you know, the second pillar is content. And I, I feel like content is super important because that's everything that your customer will experience. Uh, when they deal with your brand. So the way that I look at it is, you know, let's go back to the example of the restaurant, right? Now you've thought of the experience and the service and the atmosphere. The content really becomes, you know, the type of chairs you're going to have, like in your restaurant and like the way that things are going to look and be laid out. Um, And so when it's about an e-commerce product, you're looking at, like you said, like the, the description, you know, any sort of text that's written about your product, any sort of video reviews, like pho- photography, uh, 3D renderings of your products, like all of that content is what your clients are going to be engaging with to get to know your brand. And so it's incredibly important. And so usually when a client comes to work with us, the best clients are the ones that have put a lot of emphasis and a lot of work on their content. Um, the worst obviously are the ones that haven't. So if you have a dropshipping store and you just take the normal pro- product photos that your client is going to give you or that your supplier is going to give you, um, that's not necessarily the best just because those are the same exact photos that everyone is selling with. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of like engage your client with something unique, that's not the best way to do it. However, you can hire an agency like us, or you can hire a photographer, or even do it yourself if you wanted to. Um, and you can take some really nice product photos that make your pro- your product stick out. Um, when it comes to influencer marketing, you can you know send your products to a few influencers, make a lot of partnerships that way, get them to review it. So like that, you have um, a few a few video reviews, and you, you get honest opinions from people. 
um, about the, the actual product. Um, and all of that content is going to, um, it, it's basically going to dictate how you're going to be setting up your funnels, uh, which is the third, uh, you know, pillar, which is conversion. And mm. the conversion point, that's really when you start looking at the website, right? Mm. So usually people, they jump steps and they go directly to the website being like, all right, I want to build a, a Shopify store, never having thought of the product, never having thought of the content, right? But there are mm-hmm. steps that you have to take into account before you get to that point to have the best possible conversion at the end. Oh, interesting. So if we could dive back to the product piece, um, something I wanted to kind of touch on was, do you have a, a methodology or any recommendations for people in, in going through the journey of selecting a product? Because I, I see a lot of people online just randomly selecting things, not based on like any research or customer discovery or anything, but just, hey, this product's hot on AliExpress, so I'm going to start selling it. So um, what tips would you offer people yeah. to kind of go start researching product in a more sophisticated way? So. Absolutely. So I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, like one of the things you can do is just look at what's out there in the market today. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the things that I do all the time. So I'll, I'll go out in the market and, and it happens to me, right? Like the best mm-hmm. products are built by people who want to use a specific product and can't find what they need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that happens to all of us, right? Like in right. cases, I'm, I'll be, I'll be looking for things on Amazon or on Shopify, or I'll be Googling around for looking for specific products. And then I don't find the quality or the price point that I'm necessarily looking for. And so because of that, um, that kind of pushes me in into, oh, but what if I did this? What if I wanted to make something better and make the product that I couldn't find myself? Mm-hmm. And so that's usually like from what I've learned, a lot of the best, uh, my best clients uh, come from that sort of mentality where they're like, I want to build something for myself or for my community or for uh, people to, to be able to give them value. And I want to build something that is actually better than everything else that's kind of out there or find a product and find a relationship that, that, that can allow you to service a specific uh, customer pain point uh, in that sense. Um, yes. So that's usually how I, how I approach it. Like you start with a pain point and then you try to find the product that's a solution for that. That is business 101. Find a problem and find a way to solve it. Right. So and that's why you can't look at it like like uh, typically like most people do, which is, hey, I'm going to do this and it's not going to be any work. If it was work, everybody would do it. And it's a commodity. So. So what is your thoughts on like there's two schools of thought on product, like people aggregate things to create this new product or a standard existing product. So where I'm just buying something and reselling it, or I'm buying a bunch of pieces and creating something new from it. Like I met like my business partner, Albie, met a gentleman who bought all these different products to make a bike, but it kind of got over like 50 or 100 different pieces. He would aggregate it together and create these these uh, bikes that people wanted. So do you have a slant like one versus others that a better business model if you can uh, create something unique or just reselling something that's hard to find when people are just getting started. So, mm-hmm. so I think, I think both ways can work either mm-hmm. way. Like I, I also have clients that just take a lot of products that are already on the market, put them in a subscription box and then start mm-hmm. a subscription box. Okay. And, you know, one of the companies that I work with, um, on, well, that I work with, I'm, I'm actually a customer. I don't work with <laughs> Uh, it's good, good pup because I just got a puppy, and uh, mm-hmm. puppies need a ton of toys and all sorts of stuff every month. 
And so I subscribed to this box, uh, a good pup, and I was able to now I get a, a box every single month um, at my place with like a bunch of stuff for my puppy um, and makes him happy. And I don't have to like break my head over what I need to buy next. Um, and so that was a pain point that a lot of new dog owners have and that uh-huh. you know, they were able to kind of um, find a solution to by creating this uh, this subscription box, which really doesn't have anything that innovative in it, right? It's all mm-hmm. stuff that you can usually find on Amazon, maybe at a better price because they buy them in bulk and mm-hmm. put them in boxes. So you do get about $100 worth of stuff for, for $30 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is like a little bit of a saving there. They've kind of figured that out. And uh, I think it really comes down to that. It really comes down to creating a value proposition to your customer, right? Mm-hmm. The way that you, the way that you um, service that value proposition like, mm-hmm. as long as it works for your customer and as long as you're giving them value, um, I think that's the, like, it doesn't really matter in that sense, whether it's a product that they're getting from, from somewhere else that already exists or they're trying to innovate something. Um, obviously, when you're innovating something, that also comes with its own costs. You know, you might have to think about patenting uh, or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of ways around it. Uh, I'm a big proponent of the subscription model. Mm-hmm. Um, I love subscription boxes. I think they're, they are the future of e-commerce um, mm-hmm. because you just kind of don't think about it. And like I almost everything, almost my entire life is based on subscriptions now. So you know, my groceries come to my house based on subscriptions, my you know, dog food and, and like pretty much everything. So and I, and I think that's uh, it just it's just way more convenient for people. And because it's yes. so many pain points, it just works out. Right. So you t- now content. Uh, this is something I see a lot online that people are struggling with. How much should I pay this influencer for my content based on the following? Um, I I saw a post the other day and they said, "Hey, I paid this influencer X number of dollars," and everybody chimed in, "Hey, you paid them way too much for their following." Blah blah blah. But um, do you have any tips on like how do you benchmark uh, an influencer, like the ROI, so you're getting the value versus the cost? You know, do you have any? Um, so how do you do you sort of help your clients with those type of things around the content piece uh, at all? <clears throat> I mean, choosing an influencer is mm-hmm. usually the same as kind of choosing an agency, right? So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of like influencer agencies out there mm-hmm. that I usually kind of uh it's usually for like larger brands but because mm-hmm. um, it is pretty expensive to do like an influencer drop with an agency but mm-hmm. if you were to go through an agency like that those influencers have already been vetted a lot of times okay. been tested um and because mm-hmm. of that the roi is a lot higher but it, it, it is more expensive other than that if you wanted to vet and test yourself you know i think it, it comes with being able to create a relationship with the actual influencer right so mm-hmm. in a lot of cases I'll, I'll get on the phone with them i'll ask them you know how like some case studies or how things have happened in the past with other mm-hmm. people who uh, like uh, advertise their products to their audience um, and what kind of products as well so i think that's pretty important too i think you know when it comes to the influencer the other thing is if you can become part of their following and really engage in the conversation and engage with the people in there before you hire them and you get a feel for the type of people that are in there and you can narrow down the customer persona of your customer to the the followers of the influencer that's usually when you can figure out whether there's a, a really good um a really good synergy between you and the uh, uh and the potential influencer in the drop that you want to do 
Um, and then other than that is data, right? So you have uh-huh. to kind of look like look at the engagement rate, look at how many people are clicking the posts uh, or stories or and things like that. And then usually you can get a, a pretty good um, kind of understanding of the potential outcome. But like anything, if this is business, and so you have to take the risk and try it and test it to to make sure that it works, right? Like that's usually how it goes. Every brand is different. Every influencer is different. So you have to like. You have to put those things together and it's uh, you're going to get a different result every time. Right. Yeah. So I have this three step process I call validate measure, validate benchmark measure. So we should do a small test to validate and have a outcome that you hope for. And then if you if you didn't get the outcome, try to figure out why and then double and then test again. And then once you get the outcome that you should or you hope for, then you can benchmark it over a longer period of time and then just start measuring for improvement, tweaks or double down or whatever. So I think that's really important. So if we kind of get into the funnel or the conversion piece, like some people in the audience may not know what a sales funnel is. So first, can you kind of explain that for, you know, the lay person and then two, how to link conversion to success and what people should be doing to really uh, drive conversion. So. Absolutely. I mean, the in the in the most rudimentary kind of definition, a sales funnel is the journey that your customer will take from the moment that they find out about your offer to the moment that they actually purchase it. So there are different stages to a sales funnel. I, I usually like to work with a four stage sales funnel. There's like seven stage sales funnels out there. Uh, but the four stages that I usually work with are decision, interest, uh, sorry, awareness, interest, decision and action. Um, so within that, you kind of create an experience for your customer where they can go through the entire sales funnel and they they get uh, closer and closer to the conversion point, understanding that, you know, like if you think of what a funnel looks like, the top of the funnel is much bigger than the bottom of the funnel. And that's mm-hmm. the amount of people that you have in the funnel. Which right. means that a lot more people will become aware of your offer than the people who are actually going to purchase it. Right. And you have to be OK with that. And so once you see it like that, then you start understanding that this entire concept is based on the premise that if enough people see your offer, some of them will purchase, right? Mm -hmm. So your job is to figure out what's called the conversion rate, which is how many people need to see your offer for some of them to to actually convert. And because your funnel is always the same experience that people are going through, once you have the conversion rate, then you can scale that by just showing your offer to more people within the same experience and the same journey that they're going through. Now that was so, a bunch of theory. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, so what I know conversion rates vary, but what what are you looking for as a, a benchmark of a good conversion rate, say for a product that's two hundred or less uh, uh, to purchase online? Like, what 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 um, should people be aspiring to get to, uh, in your opinion? So, so usually two to four percent mm-hmm. is a pretty. Uh, good conversion rate for an e-commerce mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are stores that do more. There are stores that do less. It also depends on, you know, your profit margins. It depends on, uh, you know, like how many people you want to reach out to and, and, and things like that. But usually, you try to get between two and four um, percent conversions for your Shopify store. Okay. So, so what's your thoughts on customer acquisition and lifetime value? Because I, I put a big emphasis on this simply because you see places once they convert 
they lose customers because of some bad experience. Like, oh, I I had something, I ordered something and then I had to cancel it because like you said, they use AliExpress and now they can't fulfill the order or the fulfillment piece got missed. So, so, um, so do you take that in consideration when you're working with your clients and, and helping them understand those metrics against uh, as well. So I would love to hear that as well. So. 100%. And that's also why we do a lot of that backend work before we get to the conversion point, right? Mm. Because we need to make sure that we're creating an experience for the client that makes sense. Mm. Um, and that, and that, you know, the product can be fulfilled in a reasonable amount of time. The client is able to track it, that they're able to have, uh, you know, as many notifications along the way, because the number one, uh, question that's asked in the e-commerce world is where is my product? Yes. Um, and so as long as you're making sure that you're answering that question, because it will happen, um, you can create an experience for the customer that is like friendly enough and that it's, uh, you know, user friendly for them to be able to, to reorder from you. One of the things that I usually say is that if you don't have repeat purchases, you don't have a business. Right. Um, because it's pretty important for you to make sure that those repeat purchases happen. On Shopify, you actually have an entire ecosystem of apps that add to the technology of the native platform uh, in order to enhance your Shopify store and to be able to create repeat purchases uh, through different experiences. Now, it's your job as the merchant to be able to figure out what that experience looks like. Um, and what we do here as an agency whenever we build Shopify stores is that we actually put, make sure to put all of the tracking required to understand how people are using your website. Because once you start tracking the user behavior, then you can actually make a lot of decisions uh, and analyze the data uh, to figure out how you can increase conversions on your store uh, and remove any sort of drop-off points or friction points or, or anything like that. Okay, so do, you, so do you have, uh, do you use Google Tag Manager to manage all those um, insight tools or do you uh, use something else or you have a recommendation for people to, like I know Hotjar is real popular and um, obviously Google Analytics, but do you have any uh, tools in, that you would recommend to the audience? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of ways to do this and there's a lot of tools that are just never taken into account. And that's why like I usually tell people, Go work with an agency and okay. a professional agency will mm -hmm. actually tell you a lot okay. of stuff. A lot of stuff that we do is around user testing. Mm. Um, so for merchants that already have people there, like we actually do interviews with them. We find out exactly what it is that they like about the site, that they don't like about the site. We mm. have all that insight um, to be able to uh, take the decisions that we need. Um, there's also tools like Hotjar, like you said, which can, mm. you know, it's heat maps. So they can show you where people are clicking and dropping off. Uh, Shogun is a great tool to be able to create landing pages and A-B test them uh, and A-B test different sort of um, like uh, elements on, on, on the actual uh, pages and stuff. Um, and then obviously Google Tag Manager, Google Analytics, everything that you need to be able to track the user behavior, the Facebook pixel, um, all those things are incredibly important. Um, and once you have that, then you can start creating a really, a really clear picture of how people are using your site. Um, mm. and how your site is converting. And then once you have that picture, then it becomes a lot easier for you to improve it because what doesn't get tracked doesn't get managed. So as long as you're tracking, then you can improve it and you can manage it over time. Oh, that, that's great advice. Um, so just for people who aren't familiar with uh, working with an agency versus going on on their own, can you kind of just talk about the how you 
you know, enable success in e-commerce versus people that are going it alone and the value that you can offer people so they can get a better understanding why they should work with an agency if they if they can afford it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. And, um, you know, I think working with an agency and, and, you know, this is stuff that I've realized over the last four years by running an agency mm-hmm. um, is that my expertise and the expertise that my team has here. Um, is very unique because we've worked with 2,000 businesses before, right? Mm-hmm. So think of it this way, right? Everyone that's listening here, you're likely to have had a job at some point, right? Right. So if you have the job for, you know, a year, two years, three years, you're going to become an expert at it, right? You mm-hmm. know how to do your job. If somebody asks you how something is done at your job, you'll be able to tell them step by step exactly how they need to get that task done. Mm-hmm. Uh, now imagine having that experience, but with thousands and thousands of businesses wow so Mm. we actually get to see thousands and thousands of businesses from the inside right we see their pain points we see why they're succeeding we see why they're failing we see we see everything right and so because of that when we when a client gets into a relationship with with an agency you kind of want to make sure that the relationship is something that you can foster over time because you're not going to find that type of expertise in just random freelancers or a person uh, or an employee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a lot of cases, if you start going towards uh, an agency that has worked with a lot of companies in your industry, all of a sudden you start realizing that all of these companies, as they scale, they start having the same exact issues. And so if the agency has solved those issues in the past for those companies, they can accelerate your growth and do it for you as well because they already have the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really where a lot of the value comes from. Uh, I think when working with agencies is that you have a much larger reach on the knowledge. Um, and also because we have a team of 50 here. So we have a ton of talented people that can really get uh, into the store and um, improve it to, you know, to, to, to convert better and to make sure that, you know, we're hitting all of the key performance indicators for the client. Um, and we can do that pretty quickly, right? So if you have just one person working on your store, you know, the maximum they can do is maybe 40 hours a week as a full-time kind of job. But when you hire an agency, we can put 80 hours a week on your on your store if you want. We can put 160 hours a week if you want it on your store because we have multiple people working here um, and we can manage the entire thing for you. Um, so that's usually how we, how we kind of approach it. And I think, you know, like as businesses are moving online with COVID and all that, um, the role of the agency becomes uh, incredibly important because, you know, we're there to really guide a lot of these businesses towards uh, their point of success with the experience that we have. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, I'm going to give a shout out. Uh, definitely talk to him, you know, reach out to uh, Damiano and, and get your tips. So how will people get in touch with you just before, just so if uh, they're listening to this part and they, they want to follow up with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to our website, so our company mm-hmm. Startup Slang. So you can go mm-hmm. to startupslang.com. Um, we have a really nice live chat there and uh, a contact button. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Startup Slang or at Damiano R. Uh, and uh, obviously, I'm on Fiverr as well at the Damiano R store. So I'm, I've, and I've been on Fiverr for something like four years now. So should be should be pretty easy to find the right. just for Shopify services. So just just before we wrap up, I always ask people these two questions. What excites you about e-commerce and what worries you? What scares you about the future of e-commerce? 
Um, hmm, interesting question. So, okay, let's start with the first one. So, <laughs> what excites me about e-commerce is the possibility. Uh, Shopify, on the Shopify platform today, there are about 1.5 million stores. That's not that many, right? There will be a time when there's going to be 10 million Shopify stores. And so because of that, the growth trajectory that e-commerce is on right now is insane. Um, I think over the next five years, it's going to be a societal shift, like something we've never seen before in the history of humanity. We're oh, wow. going to innovate on something that is innate in our human culture, which is to trade items mm -hmm. with each other. Yes. Uh, and that has never happened in thousands of years. And so that really excites me a lot and makes me wake up in the morning and want to work into this in this in this industry. Um, what scares me the most, um, what scares me the most, mm -hmm. I guess, is the uh, I don't want to lose human touch while we're mm -hmm. um, yes. So I think, you know, being able to um, like, yes, buy things because they're convenient on Amazon, but at the same time, I would like to see a lot more opportunities for small businesses, for more local um, kind of e-commerce businesses to, to help their local communities and stuff like that. And so I am a little bit scared of large conglomerates like Amazon or large conglomerates, um, you know, like, like Walmart or, or uh, you know, bigger kind of companies uh, taking over um, a lot of the market share and not having enough space for the smaller players. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why we've aligned ourselves with Shopify, because we believe that Shopify's main um, objective is to really foster a lot of that entrepreneur um, kind of uh, community. Um, and it aligns with what we want to do as well. So, um, yeah, just just being able to uh, to, to, to support local businesses, because uh, local businesses are, uh, you know, the lifeline of, uh, of our nations in a lot of cases. And I think it's important oh. for us to do that. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, that's that's why we, you know, my company Ovals, that's why we, that's our mission. You know, how can you help enable one million small businesses become stronger and reach their fullest potential? And that's really what you do, too, by helping them through this journey of becoming a powerhouse in e-commerce to help drive more revenue, to help them grow. And that's, I think, all providers like ourselves do. So I really thank you for being on the show. And uh, I look forward, yeah, I look forward to uh, posting this and uh, continued success. And I'll definitely put your information in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marvin.